Good morning. If I, if I haven't had a chance to tell you already, Merry Christmas. Hope that, hope that you and your family have had a great morning, uh, a great month as we've anticipated the birth of Jesus, and now here we are with a chance to celebrate it. And what, what we really celebrate on Christmas morning is what Kurt mentioned as, as he was up here kind of greeting and welcoming everybody, and that's the incarnation, that the eternally existent Son of God at Christmas put on flesh and became human for the sake of saving humanity. Uh, J.I. Packer has a quote about the incarnation that uh, I, I think is absolutely wonderful. He says that the more you think about it, the more staggering it becomes. Nothing in all of fiction is as fantastic as the truth of the incarnation. That nothing that anybody could ever come up with or dream up would be as beautiful and glorious and marvelous as the truth that the Son of God, always existent in heaven, would leave that and come into the world in the form of Jesus Christ and live so that humanity might come back into right relationship with the Lord. And some of those songs that we've sung this morning... Uh, have some incredible theology to them. They have some incredible truth about who God is and, and who Christ is. And so uh, I just want to go back and point them out so that we can see them when we're not just singing them and we've got the, the melody memorized and the words just kind of flow out. One of the verses that we sang this morning was, Mildly, or mild he lay his glory by. Mild, humbly, willingly he set aside his glory as the eternally existent Son of God and was born that no man would have to die any longer, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. That is rich and Beautiful, And like Brian said when we started our time in worship this morning, we just kind of sing these. And we sing them every year, and that's totally fine. And we get into habits and routines, and when you know the words, they just kind of tumble out. But that is this amazing picture of the reality of the incarnation, that he willingly laid aside his glory, Jesus, so that he could come to earth on behalf of humanity. Uh, one of the other verses that we sang was, Come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. A lot of times I think we arrive at Christmas morning and it's like we have made it and we, we like downshift and relax a little bit because all the presents have finally been bought and opened and the family's here and uh, the meal is being prepared and we finally arrived at Christmas and now we can just kind of exhale before shepherds, for the wise men, Christmas morning is when the effort began. Come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn king. That was, that's the heart behind why we wanted to have services on, on Christmas morning. We very easily could have said, hey, we did the Christmas Eve thing. Everybody, you do your, your Christmas morning thing on your own. But we've been talking about the birth of Jesus for a month now, so... Come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn King. Let's celebrate that Jesus, the Son, stepped out of heaven and took on the form of a human in order to save humanity. It's the, the most wonderful thing in all of literature, the incarnation. It's absolutely staggering. And 
We talked about that a lot last night if you're here at our Christmas Eve services. And we looked at that from taking a big step backwards from the moment of Christ's birth and seeing the way humanity waited and waited and waited for the arrival of a Savior. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then the incarnation is something that we should live in light of every day. That God so loved humanity, so loved the world, that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe on him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We live in, re- in light of the incarnation. There's something else we live in light of if you're a Christian, though. And that's the substitution, or Jesus on the cross. We live in light of Christmas, and we live in light of Calvary. We live in light of the cross. And uh, there, I didn't do this last service, but there was another verse uh, in one of the final songs we sang. Uh, I believe it's nails, spears will pierce. Yes. Nails, spears will pierce him through. The cross he bore for me. And you hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Jesus in the manger there in Bethlehem, the son... I think is the only one in the entire Christmas scene who understands that nails and spears are what await him. The rest of the Jewish population is waiting for this king that's going to ride in and save the day, kind of how we normally think of a king. But Jesus understands that he didn't come to rise to political or military power. He came to humble himself and give himself that humanity would be able to find salvation, have forgiveness of sin. He's the only one who understands that nails and spears and a cross are what await him. And so we live in light of the incarnation. We live in light of Calvary. In fact, it's Calvary that gives Christmas such meaning. It's the cross that makes today worth celebrating. We talked about that last night. But today, I want to take a really big step forward. If last night we took a big step backwards, today I want to take a big step forward because we also live in light of a third truth. We've been talking about this divine pursuit that God, through Jesus, is pursuing a relationship with humanity. And we've talked that it's for everyone, that no one's left out. Everyone is included, all the nations, all people, no matter what your background is, the good news is for great joy for all people. And we've talked that there's nothing that could stop it. That there's nothing you or I could do or any person throughout history could do to stop God's pursuit of humanity. We said that that invokes worship. And last night we said it finds its fullness in the birth of Jesus. And today, uh, I want us to just marvel at and be motivated by the fact that God's divine pursuit has a final chapter. That it didn't end in the manger and it didn't end on the cross and it didn't even end when Jesus ascended into heaven. And so uh, I want to preach to you what I think is the most common Christmas text. That's sarcastic. I'm going to be in Revelation chapter 19. And so if you've got a Bible and you want to to flip to the back of it, I'm going to start with a a chunk here in Revelation 19, and then we're going to look at Revelation 22. And here's, here's why I want to do this. What happens at Christmas is that Jesus uh, relatively quietly enters the world. Now, we talked about last night, the universe kind of like takes this deep inhale, embraces itself, and angels are speaking, and stars are rising, and a king, Herod, is trembling, and babies are leaping in the womb, and those are amazing things, but for the most part, he came unnoticed. But that's not how he's going to come when he comes again. 
No one's going to miss it when he comes again. And that's what Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11, tells us. It's John writing, and he says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, are following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords no angels in a field needed no star rising in the east needed because the second time Jesus comes it's going to be unmistakable the heavens are going to open And he's going to ride in with armies. And he's going to put an end to what he began at Christmas. And what he began at Calvary. You see, at Calvary, Jesus paid the price and fulfilled the punishment of sin. But when he comes a second time, he's going to eliminate the presence of sin. Because what happens after Jesus rides in on his white horse, quite literally, is that He's going to vanquish Satan forever, eternally casting him away and putting an end to the presence of sin forever. And in that moment, though the message of the gospel is for all and everyone is going to see it, it's going to be too late at that point. In fact, Philippians actually tells us that when he returns, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And now some are going to do that in praise and in worship and in adoration of the arrival of the Savior, of the arrival of the King. But some are going to do that in fear and in trembling of having missed the reality of who Jesus Christ is. Some are going to be present in that moment, be they here on earth or uh, have already passed. And they're going to understand then, once and for all, that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. And that their opportunity to place their faith in him has passed. And that that means that what awaits them is not eternity in the presence of a holy and a righteous God in a place where there is no more sin and pain and brokenness and imperfection, but instead an eternity cast away from his presence. As those who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we live in light of the fact that God took on flesh. We live in light of the incarnation. We live in light of substitution that Jesus bore the penalty and the price of sin in our place. We also live in light of a consummation. That he's coming again. And he's going to put a final period on all of the work that God has been doing in pursuit of humanity. That should motivate us as Christians. And so what I want to do is flip over. This is literally the last page of the Bible. It's... The last text 
that the Bible gives us. Revelation 22. I'm going to start in verse 6. And John has been receiving this this vision all throughout Revelation from an angel. And in verse 6, And he said to me, that's the angel said to John, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. If you've got a Bible that puts the words of Jesus in red, you'll notice that there's red text next. It's as if Jesus said, enough angel speaking. Listen to me, John. And what is the message that Jesus has? Behold, I am coming again soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I'm coming again. Jesus says, I've got a shot here to say one last thing. And what I want you to know is that I'm coming soon. There's a final chapter to all of this. And John goes on, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. And then Jesus breaks in again. And he says, behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And then John writes, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. John says, The spirit and the bride say, Come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And John says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We live in light of the consummation. Come, Lord Jesus. But every time we join with John in saying, Come, Lord Jesus, we also should understand that the sooner he comes, the less time there is for the world to receive salvation. We carry with us, as Christians, the message of Christmas. We carry with us the message of Calvary. And we carry with us the message of a coming king. And those three things form for us not just a picture of why it is that we would place our faith in Jesus Christ, not just a picture of what it is that he did for us on the cross, but also the motivation of the fact that there is a window of time available to share with the nations the message of the gospel. When we wake up on Christmas morning and we spend our time celebrating 
Jesus, the baby in the manger, and we look through the manger to the cross at Calvary, and we look through the cross to the coming king, there should be an urgency inside of us that says, I want to make sure that all of the people I come into contact with understand the glory of the message of the gospel. I want to make sure that the people around me understand that Jesus said, I am coming soon. And when he arrives, there won't be time any longer for people to place their faith in him for the forgiveness of their sin. That should motivate us. It should drive us. It should inspire us. It should create for us a concern for the people that live around us without having placed their faith in the gospel. I was texting with Drew Matthews last night. Uh, So it was before I went to bed at about 11 p.m., but it was Christmas already there in Western Asia. And we're kind of texting back and forth, and I was telling him Merry Christmas and, and that I hope that they were having a great time together over there as a family when it struck me that part of what they gave up in going to the other side of the world is exactly what we love about Christmas, which is time with our family and our loved ones and the chance to celebrate together. They sacrificed that willingly. And I told Drew that I was incredibly thankful for them and everyone on their team that they would sacrifice that tradition and the love that we have for that so that people of every tribe, nation, and tongue would understand Christmas and Calvary and a coming king. Because those people may not ever have had an opportunity to hear that from anyone else. And we think about missionaries in other places, and we think about the nations, and I hope that our heart continually grows for those individuals. And I hope that the Lord continues to raise up people here from within our own congregation who will leave the comfort of America for the sake of going to share the gospel of Christmas and Calvary and a coming king with people who so desperately need to hear it. But I also hope that for those of us who don't end up with that calling, we would see that there are people right here who also need that message and that we would be motivated by the celebration of Christmas to share the full message of the gospel. That's why Liberty Christian Fellowship exists, to build devoted followers of Jesus Christ, so that we as a congregation can link arms together and share the message of the gospel with the world that needs to hear it, because it has a final chapter. And we don't know when he's coming again. In fact, Jesus describes it as he's going to come back like a thief in the night, and only the Father knows when that time is. And because we don't know that, we should live every day in light of the fact that it could be tomorrow. And if it were tomorrow, then the people that we know and we interact with who don't have faith in Christ would fall down in worship of the message of the gospel that they missed. And rather than eternity in a place where sin has been banished, they will spend eternity in a place distant from the Lord. I found myself even this morning on my drive over to here praying that as I simultaneously celebrate Christmas, that the Lord would increase the burden in my heart for those who don't celebrate a baby in a manger today, for those who don't have faith in a man on a cross, and for those who don't look forward expectantly to a coming king. 
and that we as a church would be people who would pursue those individuals in partnership with the Holy Spirit, planting seeds of the gospel into them that the Lord would draw them to faith one day. God's divine pursuit is for all. It can't be stopped. It invokes worship. It found its fullness in the birth of Jesus, and it has a final chapter in which the king will return. And all of that is what we celebrate at Christmas, but it should also be what drives us forward as Christians. We're going to sing one more song this morning. Uh, Brian and, and the worship team are going to come up, and then you can go about the rest of your Christmas day. We're so glad that you came here this morning to worship with us. I just want to pray, um, and then we can stand and sing together as we go. God,